voice of the musical. Welcome to Voice of the Musical, and you join us here on a very glorious May morning, uh, when uh, a May afternoon, when we're talking to George Stiles and Anthony Drew. Today we're going to be talking about the anatomy or the evolution of one particular song, Wait a Bit, from Just So. Um, and I've asked the writing team to talk a little bit about the show, where the song came from, how it evolved, and how, what they think about it now. So. Um, do you want to lead off, Anthony? Yeah, um, well, to start with, um, Wait a Bit is a song from a musical called Just So, which was the second show that George and I ever wrote. We wrote it in, uh, we started it in January 1985, and we sort of feel like we finished it in summer 2004, <laughs> because it went on a very, very long journey. It was, um, it was the, the show that sort of brought us in, uh, into the attention of Cameron McIntosh who's been a great supporter of ours ever since. And at the time, we had already committed ourselves to doing a production of it. We'd, we, we'd just come out of university. We'd written our first show when we graduated from university. This was the next one. And it was, it was, it, we sort of wrote it as an anti, antidote to what we'd done with our first show, which was a much more serious musical based on the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb. And we were searching around for a new idea for a musical, and we, we happened upon uh, Ricky Tiki Tavy which is one of the um, Rudyard Kipling stories in the second Jungle Book. And reading that story again um, made me want to go and look at the Just So stories because I could remember particularly how the elephant gets his trunk mm. story from my childhood. And so together we read the Just So stories and we decided if we could try and link these 12 or any number of these 12 disparate stories together, um, it might make an interesting musical which, which like Cats, has a, a its basis rooted in English literature. We didn't realise how hard this was, <laughs> because there's a very good reason why they're not related, and that was that there wasn't really a proper through idea to any one story. They're, they're, they're stories that Rudyard Kipling used to make up on the spot to tell his daughter on their passages down from um, Southampton to Kimberley in, in Graham's County in, uh, in South Africa. And he would make up animal stories because they were going to see some animals while they were in Africa. And his daughter said to him when he repeated the story, tell it just so, because he'd made a mistake or he hadn't told it exactly the way he told it the day before. And so they, when he got back in 1902, he published them as this book of 12 stories called The Just So Stories. And we wanted to try and find a way of linking these stories together um, to make a narrative for a musical comedy. Having decided on the elephant's child as our hero, because he has an insatiable courteosity, as Kipling misspells it, deliberately, there is a character who appears for two lines in the story of the elephant's child uh, called the Cola Cola Bird. And she uh, just tells him that he has to go to the banks of the Limpopo River to get the answer to his question of what does the crocodile eat for his lunch. And all it says in the book is that she sits in the middle of a wait a bit thorn bush. The Wait a Bit Thornbush is, is a colloquial name for a, uh, an African bush that literally has very, very long thorns it's on an acacia. it. And if you get snagged, of course it's an acacia, thank you, our zoologist. <laughs> if you get snagged in the, in the, by one of these bushes, the only answer, instead of struggling, is to stop still, wait a bit, and gradually unpick yourself. And that's, we love that 
concept, and we love the idea that this bird was in a wait-a-bit thornbush because she perpetually said, wait a bit, and we thought that would counter brilliantly the elephant's child's insatiable courtesy. Well, the thing came the other way around. It was insatiable, isn't it? Insatiable courtesy. It's because she lived in the wait-a-bit thornbush that we gave her this character, that it's her who is slightly retiring, and that she deliberately lives in this wait-a-bit thornbush because she's rather... Um, She's quite snappy as a character, and yet she has no self-confidence in herself. She's quite happy to be protected within a prickly bush, but she doesn't want to get out of the bush. And that was our idea, was um, to make her into a, a female ingenue who will accompany the elephant's child on his way to the banks of the great, 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 greasy Limpopo River to ask the crocodile what he has for his dinner. Um, the, the basic premise for our story, the way we got into the story, was using the crab who played with the sea and in the beginning of The Crab Who Played With The Sea, there's a character called the Eldest Magician, who has created the world. He's one of, he's one of Kipling's creator characters. He has jinns, which is some sort of a, um, Indian god. And he had this character, who he named the Eldest Magician, who is a creator, who has created a world. He's made the earth, he's made the sky, he's made the sea, he's made the mountains, and then he decides to make the animals. And what Kipling did was he invented the elephants, and the elephants didn't know how to be elephants. And he said, go off and play at being elephants. And they do. Same with all the animals. We decided to make it that the eldest magician had made a mistake and he hasn't given the, the animals their characteristics. And rather than snapping his fingers and doing another magic trick and making them all spotty leopards and baggy-skinned rhinos, that they would go out into the world and find their own characteristics for themselves. And that's sort of what the story became about. The elephant's child is an elephant who hasn't yet got a trunk. This is the day before elephants have their trunks. And he wants to... He knows he wants to ask questions. He wants to know why, in our story, the crab keeps playing with the sea and flooding the lands. And he goes off on a, on a quest. And the eldest magician decides it would be a good idea if he had a partner on the quest. So he deliberately knocks the cola-cola bird out of the wait-a-bit thornbush as this wise-cracking companion. And what we discover is that she can't fly. And we don't know why she can't fly. And it's only when we get to the song Wait-a-bit, which comes, um, it's like the second song was the second scene in Act Two that we discover why she's had this problem. And so that, that was the scenario. Let's sing a little bit of it. Why are those things you admire most in others the hardest to find in yourself? What is it about me that seems to determine? I'm destined to life on the shelf. This wait a bit character waiting to find whatever it is that I lack. Whenever they ask the real me to step forward, the real me takes a step back. Wait a bit. Stay in my mind 
problem. And yeah. Yeah, from day one, we, we wanted her to be a flightless bird, and we wanted her to have to fly at the moment the elephant has had his nose caught in the jaws of the crocodile. Mm. So we've, we've, what we've done, even in, the, even in the first version of the show we did in 1985, um, we had a, a less good song, I think, um, called Something's Never Changed, because the whole show is about how animals are changing and evolving. And, the, and, she, and she had a song thing saying, some things don't change. And that was sort of her excuse as to why she's never bothered to, to make herself fly, even though you know, she's, not a, she's not a kiwi or an ostrich. She has the ability to fly, and her brothers and sisters all flew, but she just didn't. Um, so it's, it's, the idea has been it right from day one, but the, the show itself went on such a long gestation um, because we did it in, it was called the Barbican Theatre in Plymouth, it's a very small theatre on the Hoe in Plymouth, and we didn't get the show right by any means, we, it was through sung, it was around the time, you know, in the, in the mm. mid to late 80s <laughs> is when you had a lot of through, through sung musicals, and it didn't, it was too, oops, how do I describe it? I found it claustrophobic. Mm. There was too much of everything. There was too much music, and there was too much drums, and there was, it was, it was not me, certainly wasn't me at my best, it was very overly rhymed, and it, it, was, it was trying to be clever for the sake of being clever, and it wasn't funny enough. And Cameron it had a great song about a camel, didn't it? <laughs> oh, it had, had some shockers <laughs> in it. Which, which are, she is a camel, a hogga wagga camel, but she's all right, she is all right. Songs, he'll stumble. Um, 